Hello? Oh, good. You can hear me. I'm happy I've got the pink microphone. I, that, that was mine. I bagged it that know, earlier. I know, We I had to fight over it. Um, so obviously a real pleasure to be here tonight with Craig in Wales uh, for the Welsh debut. Um, by the way, I'm Kimberly Warner. I'm head of production at Film Wales. Um, I wanted to start off by talking about the genesis of the project and how you felt this would be your second feature and why, you know? Sure. Um, so uh, how did I... I didn't know... I didn't... I mean, when I wrote the script, I think me and Adrian had a conversation and but it, uh, it kind of went like, I don't think this is going to be the second feature. This is going to be pretty hard to make. Um, so I wasn't 100% sure it would be. But uh, some of my favourite films uh, kind of deal with this, uh, similar issues like Taxi Driver and Punch Drunk Love. So I knew I wanted to, to make a movie like that and go into somebody's head. And I just so happened to have a family member that had the superpower. Great. And, and what was the process from then on? When was that that you first started thinking about this idea? And I'm interested what your process with Adrian is as well, if you want to speak to that. Um, it's pretty much cinema script. It's like, we can't afford that. That's pretty much the process. <laughs> um, here we go, Adrian. Well, I think any, any script that Craig puts in front of me is, is, is always a challenge, and, and, and this was a challenge. Um, you know, effectively, he said it was about, it's about depression. Oh, great, great. Um, but actually, of course, it's pretty easy to recognize the warmth and love that was in that character, and the family dynamic was, was pretty enthralling. Um, but I sort of certainly recognized that we had a responsibility to the subject matter. Um, a big responsibility. Um, you know, the story you saw there was very much part of Craig's life. And um, while I respected that, I also, we also had to know that it was, it was doing justice and we were being responsible to the, uh, the condition that was, um, that was portrayed there. Um, so I suppose one of the things I did was bring in somebody who actually knew what we were talking about, and you probably saw, maybe saw up there that Professor Paul Fletcher, who's kind of got so many letters after his name, um, but he's a professor of psychiatry at Cambridge University, um, and we, we worked pretty closely with him, and he was incredibly supportive and quite effusive about how we'd captured, or Craig had captured, the, the, the condition of, of schizophrenia. So that was a challenge which, uh, on the face of it, uh, we, had to, we had to sort of navigate this very, very subtle voyage between entertainment, laughter, and sympathy, and understanding, and compassion for, for those characters. Um, so at times, it's quite a difficult, it's quite a difficult route to, to navigate. Um, at times, it's a bit excruciating. At times, I find it very funny. But one or another, it has opened a window to, to that particular condition, um, and one that has been endorsed from people who know what they're talking about um, in a way that I hope tran you know, transcends to an audience and has led to a better understanding of, of that condition. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things about this film is that it doesn't fall into that trap of either patronizing or villainizing the, the sufferer of mental health that we see on screen still so much. And what were your... Joker. 
And talk me through your creative choices in terms of reflecting her various mental states, in the colours in particular. Yeah, well, I like the idea of, you know, this phrase of feeling blue as um, being down or sad, um, and I thought that blue would be her colour so that when she comes off medication uh, in the, the movie, um, she starts off in kind of an eggshell outfit, I suppose, um, very beige, and when she's on medication and then when... She comes off, your superpowers come through, and uh, the, the movie is filled with blue, like the end, um, and good old Ricky Nelson singing it. I think, in terms of the approach, it was pretty much, and it was a hard one to tackle, but whether or not we could ask a question of, uh, could we recast this idea of a weakness around mental health as a strength? So that was pretty much the approach. It was never to be laughing at her, always with her. She's badass, I love her so much. Um, and I would like to be her friend. And there's that line about um, making friends with your depression or something. Is that something you wanted to achieve through the film? Look, I think I've certainly had anxiety throughout my life. Mm -hmm. um, and as soon as, you, as soon as you face it and shake hands with it and know that it, can, it doesn't have to beat you, then for sure you can make friends with it. That's really powerful. I mean, Matthew, in terms of the sound as well, Oh, and how did you work together? At what point did you start talking about this? You've got to reflect quite a lot of different time periods and mental states. And what was your process together? It was pretty much, Michael, we're in trouble. Can you fix it? <laughs> <laughs> I think with something that uh, has got such a sort of um, a broad emotional canvas and, so, and goes through so many different time periods as well, I think the music score is something that uh, on a good day... Uh, holds your hand as an audience member and takes you through all the different states and is always with you at, the, at, the, at your side and, um, and doesn't, kind of doesn't play tricks on you. Doesn't, it, it, you can always rely on, hopefully, on the, on the, the music next to you. But this, this film is hugely about memory. Everything is, is either remembered or imagined possibly as well and so there are so many opportunities that are in the picture there's so much subtlety there's so many um motifs whether it's i don't know if you notice the glasses of water that get dirtier and get cleaner depending on what's happening on screen there's there's so many uh sort, sort of layers to it then when when you come to it with the um from a musical point of view then uh, and then i think you're um you're trying to do two things. One is you, you're, you're trying to um, give uh, an, a structure, a musical and a monomic structure that people can hold on to. And then on the other hand, you have to be the heart and soul of the film at the same time. So you, so you can get super clever and kind of film schooly about the whole thing. And it's like, which we yeah. tried. <laughs> which we tried. And then we drank some more beer and threw all that out. And then we started again and we went with the heart. Um, there are some, uh, we did experiment quite a bit, like I think some, uh, some of the beginning um, pieces of music has like Sally breathing and her, like has that in it, which, is, which, which stayed. Yeah, no, I, I think it's one, of, it's one of those things that, that is a real, it's a privilege of a, of a process which you don't always get um, because of schedules and, uh, and, and how production works, but not with Adrian, thank you, uh, <laughs> is that if you actually have time then, so Craig and I spent night after night in, uh, in my studio, trying just throwing things at it. So we'd, we'd take the sounds of Sally's vocalizations, throw them into the computer, make tracks out of them, 
Um, there's the sound somewhere in the first reel of a, of a nightingale that is sort of like, that kind of sings normally and then, that, then that's morphed and woven into the score. So, so that kind of hyper-real state, um, if you throw lots and lots of stuff like that, you get a really rich result, I think, and then you can pick and choose from it at the end. Absolutely. And did you write it for the actors, or at least for Sally, and at what point, I and mean, how much did she input into the development of the project? Yeah, it was for Sally. Wrote the script, sent it to Sally. She was one of the first people to read it. Um, she read half of it and said she would do it, and then I was worried she'd read the second half and not want to do it. Um, but she had a lot of, I mean, a lot of, yeah, a lot of input. She, uh, we rehearsed for a hell of a long time. But, well, at least for a good bit of time. You don't normally get much rehearsals. Um, and, yeah, she, all the, you know, the nuances and the, the, the mannerisms. It's from her. She's a, she's a master of the craft. And did the script change much throughout that process of her being confirmed, or...? It actually didn't. It didn't change too much. I don't think in terms of structure, we couldn't afford to change it, really. Like, yeah, we just had to go with what we had. And yeah, she, 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 sort of, she made the character her own. I mean, it's based on somebody, but she absolutely made Jane her own, her own, her own character. There was a time when she maybe couldn't do it, and we just weren't going to make the movie. Well, um, talk to me about shooting on film, both of you. <laughs> I remember we had a conversation probably a few yeah, years ago well, about this. I, I haven't shot on, done a film for eight years, um, shot on film, and the last time I did it, we ended up with a huge scratch in one of the nig rolls. And I, Beautiful. I thought, you know, oh, God, thank God that's gone. And then I met Craig. <laughs> and uh, he started off, you know, this, this was a you know, relatively low-budget film, and uh, he said, I want to shoot on film, I want to shoot on film. And I went, oh, yeah, he'll, he'll, he'll grow out of it. It'll, it'll, it'll pass. Um, but he, he basically went on and on about it. And um, we started to do some tests. First of all, we shot on Super 16. We did some tests on Super 16 and started to fall in love with the medium again. Even on Super 16, it suddenly had a richness and a texture that you don't get digitally. Um, and then somehow we shook the tin and found enough money to, um, to do it on 35 mil. Um, and I have to say, I'm, I'm reconverted. Um, I, I love it now, and, and, and like Craig, I'm, a, I'm, I'm in his church now. There's many reasons to shoot on film. How long have you got? Um, I think, for me, it was, as, because I've acted in the past, I know what it's like to act on digital, and I find that actors, or at least myself, maybe it's just me, get lazy with digital, because you know you can go over and over again. You can stop and you can redo it, but with film, we had about two or three takes per shot. We couldn't really go over that because we couldn't afford it. So the actors, when, as soon as you hear that film, that money going through it, the crew, the actors, everybody steps their game up. Mm. Um, and then you get magic. And also, we, it felt right, for, for, if you're on the pretentious answer, um, that you know, we're dealing with a, a protagonist that's feel, dealing with the fallout of a chemical reaction. So it felt right to capture it with a chemical reaction. Right. There is, it's, it's remarkable on the set. When you hear that film subliminally going through the magazine, it, there's an immediate tension. Immediate panic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and everybody responds to it. Everybody responds to it. It's a slightly subtle but exciting experience. Also, thank you very much, Graham, for uh, the projectionist. Thank you very much for that. That was wonderful. <laughs> Were there any challenges, though? I mean, you strike me as someone who is incredibly detail-orientated as a director, um, but did it maybe 
push you even more into that discipline because you knew you had to, during prep, be be so on it or was there any challenges shooting on film? Um, just getting it, getting to shoot on film. A lot mm. of people don't want you to shoot on film uh, because it's it's expensive or more expensive. Uh, but I think it depends. If you're Mike Lee, it might be very expensive if you don't know you know what you're actually going into the day with um, and it's all improvised. But I, I, I think part of the, f the fight for it and was that I... I storyboarded pretty much everything in my head and all the detail was there. I'd spent about two years prepping it in my room. So I knew exactly what I wanted and that that's, film helped that. Okay. Um, so for you, what does the title mean? And could I say that there's maybe another title or the In My Oils? Yeah, well? it was originally titled <laughs> In My Oils. Um, somebody thought it was sexual though. Yeah. That's um, a BFI actually. Yeah, yeah, they did it, yeah. Um, it's weird. Um, when you give an answer, David Lynch has this, has this theory that when you give an answer to something, there's no longer any other answers. So there's only one answer. Therefore, you don't have your own interpretation of it. So I'm worried about saying what it is. But, because we're here, um, I, I think for me, for me, well, I don't know. I don't know what it actually means, but for me what it means is that I, I find it funny when, or at least sometimes sad as well, when people show you a picture of how they used to look and say, didn't I look beautiful? Or look how I looked at one point. Um, and the final scene of the movie is her coming to terms with who she is at this current age and state, um, and is having her picture taken again. So she's very happy with this being her eternal beauty. That's what it means for me, I think. Okay. And the painting? Yeah, I don't have an answer for that. I think you want us not to know, right? Oh. I mean, yeah, if I tell you exactly what I think it is, then, um, then you kind of got the answer. I mean, okay. it, could be, it could be many things. All right. Well, it says at the, begin at the bottom of it, I don't know if you saw it, because obviously uh, film's not that high def, but you, you, can, you can, at the bottom it says, in my oils on the painting. Mm -hmm. So maybe it's a version of that. Like a niche Welsh phrase. Is oh, yeah, I grew up in the valleys. We used to say miles all the time, so I thought... Uh, I've never heard of it before, but it is, it's really interesting how you wove it through. It basically means in my element for anybody that doesn't, doesn't know what that means. So, I mean, in some ways, this is a personal film. Yeah. And Justin was... I mean, you obviously starred in it. It was, it was in your hometown. And is that a through line for you? And whether it's shooting in Wales or do you feel like... What's next for you will be personal in the same way, or are you not sure yet? Well, the next film isn't really personal, is it, for me? Um, no. Uh, Adrian's like, don't talk about it. Um, uh, I don't know. The first, two, for my, for the first film, I acted in it, and I'm happy I did. Um, but it felt like me getting a lot of influences out and uh, getting that out of my system. I feel like I found my voice. So it feels nice now, and um, yeah, I've got, I've got to relate to it in some way, or I can't tell the story. But I also, the, I, I feel like with any story that I want to tackle, I, I, I need to go into it not understanding what it means, so that I can at least come out with an answer by the end of it, so my time isn't completely wasted. Mm -hmm. So and I can also ask the right questions at the end of it, or different questions. And is it the same with the acting roles you select, or is it a very different kind of thing that you want to do? Oh, I'll take anything I can get. <laughs> <laughs> if there's any jobs, please. Um, yeah, I'm, uh, with acting, I've, uh, because of, I suppose, my face and limited skill, I've kind of pigeonholed myself into coming of age for the rest of my life. <laughs> That's flattering. I suppose. 
And Michael, you worked together on Just Doom as well, on Craig's debut. So how did this process differ? I mean, we know that it was lower budget, your debut, and, and probably pressurised, but how did it differ? I, th I think it's one of the... Um the, the relationship between a director and their, and their heads of department, whether it's the composer or the uh, DOP or, or whatever it is, is, is one of those um, uh, fertile grounds for uh, a director finding their voice in all the different areas of filmmaking. So I think as uh, Craig and I uh, hopefully have a quite... Um, amicably experimental relationship which on just Jim uh, yeah we did we tried pretty much everything we threw pretty everything we could at the wall but then I, I think uh, for any so for any aspiring filmmakers out there or anybody starting that the, those relationships that you have through your directing or filmmaking career with the people around you they tend to when you look back kind of go oh yeah, I get it, that was Steven Spielberg and John Williams, that was, you know, wh whichever your sort of favourite director-composer or director-DOP relationship is that we, we tend to be the, the, the people that kind of uh, deliver the vision as, as, it, um, as it evolves. So, so yeah, we, we, uh, we grew together. Shall we say? It's interesting. I just just realised we had the we had, for references for both movies was the same movie. So um, yeah, yeah. P Punch Drunk Love was the reference yeah, for both totally. movies, pretty much. If anybody hasn't seen that movie, watch it. It's absolutely incredible, and the score's phenomenal. It's a really interesting test, isn't it, to just see if everyone's making the same movie, what they have in mind. <laughs> Sometimes people are like, I'm making <laughs> yeah, Citizen Kane. What's for going you? on? <laughs> well, no, for me. what's interesting about that is we, um, we actually we. In pre-production, we every week, well, for three weeks, three or four weeks, we came to Chapter and we showed the crew um, movies that you know I thought were in the same world, and that really helps because then everybody knows what they're going into. So I showed Titanic and an Avatar. <laughs> Obviously, um, and when you were kind of in prep and in production, like I think, what is that like? Are you? looking at other influences? Are you kind of completely cutting yourself off? You focus just on the film? Yeah, as soon as you start prep, yeah, pretty much. Mm -hmm. um, I, I made uh, a mistake, not a mistake, but during my first film, I started watching more David Lynch films in the cut, and then it just it looked like I was on a bunch of drugs for most, most of the post-production. It was so surreal. Um, so I definitely think once you start, start making it, watch as many as you can beforehand, but I, I certainly kind of block it all out. Also, it's because if you watch a movie, like if I if I was making this movie now and Parasite came out and I watched Parasite, it'd be like Parasite. <laughs> I'd hope. <laughs> um, so, I mean, what was your most positive moment in the process of this film, whether it was on set or in development? What was the moment that you kind of most remember? Green, green light, probably. Green light. <laughs> green light, knowing that we could actually make it, which is yeah. Uh, up into the line, but yeah, probably that, right? Yeah, I think so. But, but, but also, I think the film, like a lot of films, the film that went into the cutting room was quite a different film to the film that came out of the cutting room. Uh, and, and, and like a lot of good editors, Stephen Harron, our, our editor, you know, worked remarkably well in, in helping to shape the film. And I think you'd agree, it was, we, it, the film was partly made in, in the cutting room. It was a quite a different, the script mm. went through a journey and... Because um... everybody watched Titanic, yeah. <laughs> um, I think, it, it, for any film, yeah, anybody that wants to make movies, 
um, and is a filmmaker, then I, I think that picking an editor that pretty much hates your material is the best thing to do. Um, I love Stevens so much, but he gives nothing away, and you feel like you've, you've you know, done a bad job, and that really helps, because you don't want a yes man in there at, at all. Mm. Um, and that's what we got. We really tested the material to... There was a version of the movie that we took a lot, a lot of the humour out, because um, we didn't know how, how it would go down, but we put it back in, and luckily I think it works. But. And because the music is a part of the storytelling to some extent, at what point did you kind of drop that in? Because obviously it can be dangerous to bring it in too early, but it seems like it was intrinsic. Yeah, we... Well, you made a few pieces before, Michael, which always helps. Um, uh, it's really hard in the edit. It's, it's, it's a bad idea to put anyone's music on, on your cut mm. because it's basically wallpapering over cracks. Mm. And then you get used to it. And also, if you put a, a track down, if I put Mika Levy at the beginning of this movie, then the, the rest of the movie is going to change in tone because I have to, to follow that. So we try to stay away from that. But you know, you get you get bored in the edit and you put some songs on, like Ricky Nelson, Blue Skies, and it worked. Um, but yeah, we. W w what point did you come in, Michael? You came in. Well, I, th I think on this one because it was because uh, it was a second film, and again, it's a sort of classic. Usually, uh, composers get brought on board absolutely at the last minute, usually because somebody else has been fired. Or it might be that I've been fired and somebody else gets brought on at the last minute. But then you just get to sort of see a final cut and you get four weeks and you throw what you can at it and you go home. But on a second and subsequent film, you kind of, you've, you've got pub time. You've got a, a chance to have a beer and talk about it in advance. You've got a chance to have a process. And I think what you end up with then is a much richer experience because things you know I, I guess like about half the music I wrote for the film is in the film if you sort of go back to the you know what's what's still in the drawer or what didn't make it and that that's a pretty good ratio I'm okay with that and how and you spoke about it a bit earlier but what was your intent with the music for young Jane as opposed to when she's older and when she's in a different mental states how did you I, navigate that. I, I think that there's, a, there's something that, that music specifically does that, that nothing else really uh, can do in the, in the context of a film, and that is to, to give a kind of dignity and a life and a, um, to, to give a sort of inner strength to, to a character. And so from the, the start of it, whether it was the sort of... Uh, whether it was young Jane and, and the the wedding scene or whether whether it was superhero Jane at the end, then you're always trying to sort of find a frame and find the the kind of the, the emotional strength within her. And and really for me that didn't change. And so you sort of so you hear the music that plays in the car when she's going to the wedding uh, right at the start. You hear that at the end, and and whether or not you can remember every single note as an audience member, you will feel that callback. You'll feel that sort of the the memory of that even within ninety minutes. So, so so for me, it was trying to make it as memorable as possible. So there's tunes, which is not always these days, um, so that you can really hook onto things. When there's a piece in um, the club scene after Mike and the Truth Detectors perform. And when, when, and it's the bit where um, she goes, first I was afraid, like she starts singing that, and then the music comes in with her. And I remember when Michael sent that to me, I was like, that's it, man, that's it. That's, we're right in the right ballpark there. That's completely the world that it needs to empower her. Well, um, I mean, I think there are some aspiring filmmakers in the room, I have a suspicion. 
What did you take with you, or both of you really, Adrian and Craig, um, from Just Jim in terms of learnings that you brought to this film? Don't, don't cast Craig in this <laughs> film. <laughs> cast Craig in all the roles, not just one. <laughs> Eddie Murphy in. Go like full John Malkovich in yeah, the absolutely. next film. Yeah. Um, I mean, you can joke about that, but I would certainly say don't do everything. Um, nobody wants to be Woody Allen anymore. Um, what, would you, what have you learned, Adrian? Uh, it was, it was, there was a slight you know, ratcheting up of scale. We, 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 mm. we, we, could, um, we could spend a little bit more time shaping it and nurturing it. Um, you, you asked earlier what was, the, what was the best moment. I mean, I think probably the best moment for me was actually when we were recording the music because when you're there, you know, in the romance of Abbey Road, at that point, Craig and I basically can do nothing. You know, I mean, it's down to this man. And um, to sit back and, and suddenly see it come to life uh, was probably the most joyous moment for me. It was, it was phenomenal. How do you direct actors of this scale? And obviously, you have immense talent, but that must be quite challenging. Yeah, it is. The, the, best, the best stuff to shoot is like exteriors when nobody's in them because you feel like you're not wasting anybody's time. Um, to be honest, you don't direct act. You mean, you prepare them, I suppose, and you rehearse. I always feel like rehearsals are not to rehearse the good, but to rehearse the bad, so it's out of you by the time you actually start. Um, and there was no bad in these people. They're, they're, they're absolute masters of their craft. Um, you just got to make sure that camera's rolling, you know, especially with Sally. Sally was in the character from from the moment we started rehearsing. It's interesting, I, I know, I've known Sally for a long time now, and she's a, she's a really good friend, and we, you know, we made the movie, and we got closer, and you know, she's one of my best friends now. And then I realized, we, we finished filming, and I went to see her the next day, just to say thank you, and it, it was a completely different person. I realized I became friends with the character. <laughs> so strange. <laughs> right, well, I think we're gonna go to the audience for some questions now. No questions. Hello. Um, so you said earlier that when you're uh, making a film, you kind of have a question that you want an answer to. Uh, with this one, what was your question and did you find an answer? Good question. What's the answer? <laughs> um, uh, the question was to recast the idea of this weakness into a strength, um, if it's possible. I don't know what the answer is to it. I think that um, if we approach everything with love and kindness, and if everybody, if, if I think if Jane can operate in the world and be kind to people, I think everybody should be. Um, yeah, I feel like it's a superpower. I feel like hearing voices and being able to turn a wall is pretty impressive. If that was in an Avengers movie, people would pay a lot of money to watch it and applaud. Um, so I suppose this is, this is like, uh, this is Logan. This is my origin story. <laughs> Thank you. Um, you talked earlier about how um, depictions of mental illness is often you know, patronising or villainising, but then at the same time I think that this is quite unlike what a lot of people will have, will think of as, as 
mental health. I was wondering if you had actually had any pushback in terms of it being funny um, and kind of irreverent. People can be a bit Yeah, that's a great question. Um, there was a festival that didn't take us because they thought that we were dealing the way we would... What was, what was the reason for it? And it's ironic because they took the frickin' Joker. <laughs> Uh, they were just, I think the word was uncomfortable. They, they felt uncomfortable uh, watching it, which I thought was pretty good. <laughs> yeah, because I felt so relaxed during the bloody Joker. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just going in on the Joker. <laughs> I think uh, the, the other thing I, I think is important about the film is that one thing I realised halfway through the process is that what it portrays is, is the character Jane's normality. And um, I feel very strongly afterwards that the normality of that condition is as, as relevant and as valid as any other normality in any other condition. And, and I think that, not that we're going to change the world with this film or anything, but it would be fantastic if, if, if it helped in some way in allowing people to see different types of normality uh, as being normal. Hi, Craig. Um, I just wanted to ask you about sex. <laughs> because... Are you sure you want to ask that question? Are you sure? Is, yeah, completely positive. Because um, sex gets quite a bad rep in this, I would say. Uh, it's either infidelity or it's miserable. <laughs> and I well, it can be intrigued. miserable. It depends, you know. Sorry. Sorry, sorry, Karen, sorry. No, no, that's it. I was just intrigued about wh why that comes through, I suppose, your, that attitude. <laughs> Very pretty, yeah. Probably says a lot about me. Um, it's in there to make you feel uncomfortable. And I think that I don't totally agree with sex in movies. And I think that's probably why it's there. I, am, I think it's... I, there's a certain demographic that probably like it in there, and I just think that's who it's catering to. Um, so I don't, I, I don't agree with it. I think that you can, you can very easily show two people kissing and falling onto the bed and then show them afterwards, and they've had a lovely time, or a miserable time in my case. Um, so that's why it's there, I think. Um, I think, I think not just that, I think the men get a bad rap in it as well. They're terrible, and rightfully so. Thank you for your question. Hey. Um, I really love the production design uh, through the film. Seen, it was a very sort of analog world, uh, a bit like almost they were sort of stuck in a time war. They hadn't really progressed through life in that way since uh, Jane became ill. Um, kind of reminded me, like uh, probably not the best comparison, a bit, bit Napoleon Dynamite design-wise. Uh, that sort of. Yeah. I'd say that's a good film. Lovely film. Very, yeah. Yeah. Sort of. 
timeless retro could be any time kind of look. Uh, just wondered how you arrived at that. What was what was the I, thinking? Um, I think. Thank you. I think. Um, I kind of want. I, I did want it to be timeless. Um, I think it's very easy to put mobile phones in things and um, use it for plot. Um, and I like people on a, on a, you know, that's pretty much my taxi driver reference, I suppose. I like people on phones. Um, and I, I, yeah, I just like that style, really. Um, you're right that it does kind of stand still after, after Young Jane has her breakdown or breakthrough. Um, and I suppose, yeah, that's just her, her on both sides of the wall. Great. Hi, uh, Chris Reddy from uh, Just Druid Films. Uh, Craig, can I congratulate you on, on particularly the writing of that script? I mean, you don't have to. No, it was, mate, it was great. Thank you so well much. Well done, well done. Thank you very much. Um, my, my question is, and maybe this is directed more at Adrian, is are you able to share with us now, because you've got a great product there, your marketing and distribution um, thoughts? Well, how long have you got? Um, I, it, it, we've... We made, as I said, we made the film on a relatively low budget. Um, we've sold the film worldwide to Sony, which was great. Um, bizarrely, we've had more of a tussle with the UK distribution, but we've now got a UK distributor on board. So it'll be, it will be released this year. I don't know when yet, I'm afraid. Um, and then we, then we take on North America. So that's the battle where we're, we're going to be taking on um, well, next month, really. Is to is to sell it over there, but uh, as I'm sure you can appreciate, um, it, you know it, it, it's not love actually. You know it's it's not a rom com. It's um, it's it's a fairly fairly mind um, mind challenging undertow, which, as I say, sometimes we realise that an audience has to be given permission to laugh in certain places and. Of the, of the screenings we've had of it, I don't think we've had one audience reaction which is the same. You know, we've had audiences which have seemed to laugh all the way through. We've had some audiences that are completely silent almost all the way through. And we've some that kind of peppered all the way through and, and sort of the ebb and flow of, of the thought-provoking drama and, and Sally's performance and, and some of the more obvious uh, humorous moments. Um, so I think it's, you know, I, I think I understand why distributors look at it and go, mm, it's, not, it's not love actually. Um, uh, so, you know, we, we've, we've made it, we've, we're going to dis it's going to be distributed throughout the world. Obviously, I hope it'll catch fire. Um, so I hope you'll all um, talk about it when you, uh, when you leave this evening. <coughs> I just want to say well done, it was beautifully shot, the film. Um, my questions, probably about that sort of like, what advice would you get? To, um, what advice would you give to anyone wanting to get into the industry, in I guess the camera department or the cinematography sort of side of things? Um, I think it's. I think work with friends, surround yourself with friends, um, and make stuff with your friends. Um, we're, we're in a time now where you can just put, you know put it all online, and you know anything can catch fire and. It's great. You have you have you have phones. Movies are shot on Tangerine, and um, 
and and saying, you know, you have a, a you have a camera there now, and everybody's got a camera, so it's easy to make stuff. So I think just keep making stuff and put it out there. I think. Yeah, and I'd say also, if you can, get involved in the IP of, of, of the project. I mean, it is a fast track to, to, to getting perhaps where you want to go is, uh, I mean, not, it's not so relevant, I realise, with camera and, 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 and sound and things like that, but, but in terms of making films, um, as, uh, whether it be an, a, as an editor or, or, or whatever, is if you, can, if you can creatively hook up with other creative beings, other creative souls, and create a relationship even before you've started to make the films. Um, you know, that's, where, that's quite often where film school works so well, because you come out of film school and you, you, have, you have created those relationships which then need to, to grow. But actually starting the seedlings of those relationships are really important. Um, so treasure them and nurture them and grow them and don't expect them to, to, to burst into leaf immediately. You know, it does take a bit of time sometimes. Hi. Um, Hi. My question is, so it was based in Wales um, and it was a um, very Welsh film. Um, and it was Miss Valley's The Competition, um, the beauty pageant, sorry, I'm not familiar. Um, but they had English accents, so I'm just wondering why that... that why they didn't have Welsh accents? Yeah. Um, it's, not, it's, it's a Welsh story for me, um, and those little things um, is, I suppose it's where I'm from, and that, that's why it's in there, but I didn't really want it to be set anywhere. Um, it's kind of Noahsville, and I wanted the accents to almost be neutral, um, so nobody could pin it to a certain place, um, as Welsh can, because yeah. we're awesome. <laughs> but um, yeah, that was pretty much it. I wanted it to be kind of Noahsville, and that kind of ties into the timeless, timelessness of the piece as well. And I think you did that really well, as you did with your other films. Oh, thank you so much. Um, I would like to ask, um, how did you feel with most scenes, like some tense scenes, like uh, when she ran in the hospital? How did you mostly feel around uh, those scenes? It's not nice at all. It's really not nice. Um, the scene, um, the, the sex scene, actually, uh, we, shot, we shot one take of that when she comes in and she cries, because I think we, uh, Adrian burst onto set and was like, is Sally okay? And it just, it just felt too much. Luckily, she nails it in, in the first take anyway. So we, we got everything, but I didn't really want to put, it through, put her through any more of that. Um, it's really tough, and you have to just make sure that the actors feel really comfortable and are supported um, and, and feel that they can go anywhere and do anything. Um, and once, once you do that, it's, it becomes a little bit easier, I suppose, for them. But it's never easy to do those, those scenes. It's, it's hard. And like a lot of people, we shot some of those scenes in, in, in the hospital at Whitchurch, which uh, I have to say, like probably a lot of few people in the room have shot there. And um, it has got some ghosts. It's a pretty weird place. Um, I've got a two-part question. Um, awesome. So in, within the story, uh, the, 
is obviously uh, poor. Um, she doesn't get on with the medication, yeah. and that it presents a lot of difficulties in her life. And then later on, she obviously comes off the medication. So the two parts are really, first of all, you mentioned that this is in part related to a family member. Yeah. So was that aspect, um, if you don't mind answering, is that part of your family member's um, story? And then the second part is, how was, the, how was that dealt with and what was the feedback from your uh, psych psychological uh, consultant? He didn't, um, he didn't shy away from that, Adrian Wright. He said that was pretty accurate. And yes, uh, the first part, it is completely uh, the real person when on medication feels very sleepy um, and kind of, uh, I suppose, takes some, take something away. I guess that's where I came in with uh, the idea of it being a power. Um, she needs to get back. But yeah, he said that was pretty accurate. Yeah, I mean, it, the, the, the condition is not black and white. It's not, you know, drugs are bad. Uh, coming off drugs is good. It's just not that simple. Um, part of it is, is, is about the balance of getting the right medication, and that can take sometimes years. Um, so we certainly didn't want to say, you know, if you come off drugs, everything will be fine, and you, and you find that inner strength. It's just life isn't like that. So hopefully what, what happens in the film, she goes from a, obviously a, a drug regime which isn't particularly suiting her, comes off it. She goes a little crazy, but eventually comes back and, and by the end she's found, a, she's found a balance. And that for the, for the health profession is the biggest challenge I think with that condition is somehow, somehow prescribing the right level of, 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 of treatment. And you know, if you, if you get it right, drugs can be a really good thing to help that condition. If you get it wrong, it can be disastrous. So it, it's just not black and white. Yeah, and there's no actual comment of whether she's on or off it by the final, by the final scene. Okay, thank you. Okay, so um, thank you all for being here. I know everyone here is really proud to have a Welsh film like this, having its Welsh premiere here. Um, I wondered if there was anything more you wanted to say around why you think there's this continuing stigma around mental health, like why you think we still find it so uncomfortable. I know this is a specific condition, but... I, I think that's to do with the, the, the person um, feeling uncomfortable, really, mm. um, as to what, what, why they do. Um, I, just, I just felt that growing up with, uh, with, with Superwoman, the laughter seemed to be sometimes the best medicine for it. Like, you know, she, uh, she would say some things and they would be out there, but as a family we would laugh with them and she would laugh with us and um, that, that, gets you, that gets you through the day sometimes, laughing. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think, um, I suppose I, I feel that it's a, it's a difficult time for independent film at the moment. And um, I think it's testament to you know, our thanks to the financiers who, who put, help us put this together. People like, you know, the Welsh Government and the BFI and Film Cymru and, and, and Paul and everybody who, who, who helped. It, it, you know, this, this, this couldn't have been made without uh, an ind independent film um, platform. Uh, and, um, you know, that, that's, that's why it's not love, actually, because we've been allowed, or Craig's been allowed to make the film that's very personal um, and has, has a real meaning, and it could only have been done with an independent film framework. 
which wasn't really an answer to that question at all. But, uh... <laughs> but it was a good answer. I'd also like to say thank you so much to the audience as well for being so kind during it and accepting it. So thank you. Great. Thank you, everybody. And I think that's us done. Thank you. Thank you very much.